You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. If you missed last week's episode 300 in which I was interviewed by Sarah Millican, Sindhu V, Tom Allen, Ricky Gervais, Nish Kumar, James Acaster and many more, you can find that in the episode before this one in your podcast feed. Now, thanks to the Comedy Store who gave us a space to record with today's guest, Mr Simon Brodkin. Simon's better known as Lee Nelson, a very funny character comic who's had his own sketch show and stand-up shows uh, and huge tours all over the country. At least he was best known as Lee Nelson before he started embarking on these pranks and uh, blags in which he, for example, gave Theresa May a P45, threw money at Set Blatter and did a stage invasion during Kanye West headlining Glastonbury. So that's how he's probably best known now. But we joined Simon at a fascinating point in his career, some 15-plus years into performing his characters. He is taking a show to the Edinburgh Festival this year in which he plays himself. So we are talking to someone who has got bundles of experience, can absolutely take the roof off a room as a character who is embarking on a very different part, a different strand of his comedy practice to establish exactly what it is he wants to say and how vulnerable he can make himself. This is perfect timing for a com-com. You will hear throughout the first 10, 15 minutes or so, I'm going to drop you right into the middle of this interview, um, you will hear at the beginning that he is a little bit resistant and I really want to thank him for succumbing to my uh, overtures and I think throughout the, uh, throughout the episode I gradually encourage him to relax and tell us what he really thinks. I love this one. Big thanks to Simon for coming on the show. This is Simon Brodkin. Being a character was always how I envisaged my comedy. Um, You know, if if I'm going to be funny, it's going to be... You, you know, in, inhabiting the the body and the and, and and the world of another human being, and as one develops, I've also added other things to what I start to think is my comedy, and doing the stunts is is um, or pranks or whatever you want to call them, desperate cries for attention. Uh, and, um, now I said, "Don't be funny," and I know that's a line from your show. Yes, dude, you can't <laughs> do you that now. Oh, call mate, that's forty-three minutes. That is what burnt. This... <laughs> it's very hard not to get into that channel, of isn't course, it? Of course, of course. As and soon just... as you start saying my stunts, and then it says, "Hang on, I remember saying I remember that." Oh, yes, I've got a thing and about then all pranks, totally. or... and I know you're very joke-driven, and I will. Uh, I did an episode of this show with Stuart Francis many years ago, which is notorious in the back catalogue of this podcast. Did you need 600 he was, questions? He was <laughs> One not, line He answer. was not able to stop doing gags, so I'm just, mm-hmm. just going to pin you down earlier You did on. say beforehand... No gear, no gear. Um, you said beforehand... Um, what did you say? I think I summarised it by saying, uh, boring, be, boring, uh, be, be boring, don't be funny. Which then you put me on stage at the Comedy Store. Like, one part I of my brain is going... Ah! Room, but as we've established, I couldn't find a plug socket. <laughs> Um, 
So, uh, what was the question? So, you were oh, yes, I was talking yes, about yes, the hoaxes, it. but let, we'll get back to As that. As you can see, bad memory. <laughs> Where are we again? Um, so You were saying that you'd always seen yourself as a, as a character... And I'm asking you why... Yeah, I'd always why, seen why how I, I would do my comedies as, as inhabiting characters in different worlds. And then, as one develops, uh, I started doing these stunts, which obviously started off very much character-driven. So the first one was with Lee, and very clearly Lee, it had to be Lee. And then the second one was with, with, with Jason, and uh, Jason Bent, the Premier League footballer. Um, um, and... Um, does that come? Am I allowed to do impressions of myself? Yeah, you can, that, you can great, do your great, own one. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then you get into the area where the stunts you're doing aren't necessarily needing to be done by a character. So joining Kanye West on stage at Glastonbury. Now, that was from Lee and as Lee, but the bottom line of that was there was no Lee in that at all. That was me pretending to be a hip-hop artist and um, joining Kanye West and having a, a, a rapping duet with him. That has nothing to do with Lee. And then you start that develop more, the stunts, and then was thinking more in terms of just the stunts, not in terms of the character. And doing... The stand-up as myself just feels like the next place that I wanted to go. And obviously timing is always, um, you know, how hard it is to sit down and write anything, let alone when you've got other things on and other things. And this was kind of the perfect opportunity because I was on a very, very big tour as Lee. And obviously once the tour's up and running, creatively, the job has really been done. Not that <laughs> not that you're just a robot on stage going through it, and each show is a bit different, and that's always the case with leagues. There's lots of interaction, but the basic heavyweight lifting of the creative side had been done, and suddenly there was this space available for me to get the time to go. Hang on, this this is okay. Let's let's do this. Let's actually try and give this a go. The way you phrase it there, let let's do this. Let's actually try it. Is it something you'd wanted to do? for a while and it was suddenly there was an opportunity i'm not exactly sure is the truth i think it's been in the back of my mind and probably growing i haven't had huge burning desire to do it so i i haven't been sat there for three four years going i need to do myself no and for many many years it didn't even occur to me it wouldn't even, you know, do you want to do a stand-up as yourself? No, why would I want to do that? I'm not, that's not what I do. You talked in the, in the show that I saw this week about vulnerability and about how you, so the implication, I think, was that you were doing characters in order to not have to reveal yourself. So many good lines from the show I want to say now. Damn it. Let, yes. Let, let me just interject. The show was really funny. Yeah. I laughed out loud many, many times. It was excellent that we will talk about that in the content. So you don't need to prove anything on that on that respect. Damn it. But but that but that aspect Cotton. to me, that's fascinating. It it felt like you were sort of being open about the fact that you found it hard to be open. You found it hard to be yourself. And that's exactly right. Um and I talk about it in the show, and that's why doing stuff as oneself is been so intriguing and fun and interesting because I get to talk about real things that really matter to me um, and the truth. And no matter how 
um, fantastic a joke I could write in a character. And no matter how on the nose it would be to do with something that is uh, uh, topical, it's always inhabiting that fictional world because it's coming out of a character's mouth. So, yeah, in this show, I'm talking about things that mean something to me and that I care about. And part of that was talking about um, how hard it how hard men find it to open up and and talk about how they feel. And then that branches off into me talking about in the, in, in, in this show, how, why do you think I pretended to be someone else on stage for so long? A definite part of that is because when you are yourself, you are vulnerable and there's more at stake. And that is something that I, found hard to do and why do you think you found it hard given that that's like that's often the starting point for a lot of comics is getting over that that like in order to be funny i'm gonna have to be vulnerable because when you start off as a character comic you never have that bridge to cross i absolutely i totally agree with that but but that's i'm just wondering how much of that was part of the decision to start off as a character comic like whether that's something you worked right. out later oh that must have been why i started off doing characters because actually i didn't want to be vulnerable or whether at the time part of you saw other comics and went oh well i'm not i'm not going to do myself i don't want to do what they do probably a bit of both i think deep in the recesses of my mind as to why you know why i started off as a character comic is because I always said I feel more comfortable inhabiting other people. Mm. And so by default, I found it less comfortable being myself. And so, yes, there was that not wanting to even go there. And then once you step into someone else as a character, it feels totally natural and you can be whatever you want that character to be and you can get away with all sorts that you just cannot as yourself. So, yes, I never crossed that bridge because I didn't want to, <laughs> because, uh, and, and, um, um, and, and, and now it feels as I've progressed something that I wanted to do and wanted to try and probably have gone through all the things that every open mic up-and-coming comic is going through right now. Sure, man, it's, it, I really, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Absolutely. I came away from that show having laughed a lot, and I said, I said to you afterwards that, that bit about, the, I don't want to spoil the joke, but the thing about parenting, you know, yeah. I mentioned to you afterwards. There's some really, really great jokes in there. I also felt, I was thinking about it on the train home and thinking, it's almost like you, you've got 15-ish, 15-plus years' experience of not just being in the, in the comedy circuit, but even back then, even doing the round table gigs, you were killing those gigs. I remember, I've got this incredibly clear memory of you as Lee Nelson establishing someone in the audience was Australian and saying, oh, wow, so that's like you're 12 hours ahead of us. What happens? And I just, God, what a diamond joke that was. I remember as a, as a very young comic going, oh, he knows what he's doing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like you've had 15 years of being excellent. So to now put yourself in the position where you are effectively an open spot, like... Do you feel you're trying to find your voice because you've been using they're yours, you own them, but they are other people's voices? Absolutely. Starting again. How do I walk on stage? How do I hold the mic? 
how quickly do I talk? What do I talk about? Where's the joke going to come? What is this all about? All those growing pain, first few months of being a stand-up or however long it takes people to, to, to find that, that is what I've been going through. And yes, I've got all that experience of being on the stage, so 100% some of the the simplistics of the craft, of all knowing how everything works, was there in the background in my mind. But absolutely, the very basics of how one manages to perform stand-up comedy at the very basics, starting again. That's really inspiring that you're prepared to put yourself in that position. Because it must be... Scary. Do you get do you get stage fright? Do you get is that an element or is that one of those things you're like, no, no, I've got this. Of course, when you are back to what I was saying before, when you're yourself, you're vulnerable. So suddenly there's no one with Lee. Now, when I started off, Lee was not the only character that I did. He was the first one that I did on the stand-up comedy circuit. But I had other characters that I was doing, and I had um, bits and pieces on TV, some of which had nothing to do with Lee very early on. And my first Edinburgh show, Lee was just one of several characters. So it was never just about Lee. But Lee was always the best character to just be able to do stand-up comedy, Mm. which means inhabiting the moment, living in the room. If I were to set up my uh, doctor character, there's always this pretense. Why is this doctor on stage? What is he doing? The footballer, why? Okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to read out my autobiography here, you know, or, you know, I'm got, I've got injured and just uh, talking. Now. Whereas with Lee, it was this happy-go-lucky guy who was able to step in and just go, is everyone here all right tonight? Let's have a laugh. And he's just wandered in off the he's street. He's wandered in off yeah. the street and just has a joie de vivre. Um, I think you said you wanted me to sound pretentious. That's my first Beautiful. little effort there. I've got a few other key French tick phrases written down. Um, and he had this bravado and this um, impenetrable uh, attitude and bounce that you can't get him down. So it just came with the character, with the package of the character. Obviously, it doesn't start off exactly like that, but that is how he developed. And so you have this bouncing, bulletproof, bold, brave um, lad who's coming on and just going, hey, are you all right? I'm going to take this on. Nothing you can get me with. I'm going to have a laugh. Are you talking to me? Are you looking at that? Put your thing that, And then you're off. And then suddenly, as yourself, oh, my God, this is on me now. So, whoa. So when someone is talking, what was interesting was when I first started, a lot of my, you know, where people would, because look, the definition of stand-up is there is no fourth wall. So by the very nature, that's the beauty of it. That's why people love it. Because if you're in the audience and it is your desire and you shout out, hey, you know, what's got, whatever you want to shout out, that is, I'm not going to start giving some um, decent heckling lines out. Um, but whatever you want to shout out, it's up to the comic to have to interact with that. And um, obviously, the, as the years go went by with Lee, it was, it was um, something that I would revel in. Um, but suddenly as me, I was answering back in a much more aggressive way than was acceptable. Just because I would have always done that as Lee, 
and even I was toning it down from Lee. But suddenly, there's someone on stage who's real. And so yeah. if you say something back that's not that pleasant, whoa, so, hang on, you can't say that. Whereas Lee, I could get away with that and bells on. And there's suddenly, yeah, the, you, are a, you are yourself on stage. And, 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 and with that came nerves and with that came all the anxieties that anyone would go through when they're, when they're starting off and, and, and working out who they are and what they're about. And presumably when you ask someone, when you do crowd work as yourself, you ask someone what they do for a living, mm. Lee has probably got ten jokes about that. And even if you, like, you have to decide not to say the thing that's on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, and that was really hard, especially at first. Um, and I'm so early on into this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I'm loving it, and you know, I don't have, um, you know, end-of-year targets. Um, but, but at the moment, I'm really enjoying it, and I hope it will continue, and with more experience comes more. And uh, funnily enough, I haven't had a lead tour for... A few weeks now, which is very been very rare. So it's just coming to the end of the tour. I've got one more date left on a like one hundred and eighty date, however many um, month long uh, tour, and that's actually been really helpful because suddenly it hasn't been going me to Lee to me to Lee to me. I was like, no, I, I've got this now. Let me get my brain working on this. Put the cap in a box. Lock the <laughs> yeah, box exactly. Just right, me. Well, there's so much muscle memory. At first, from from anything we as human beings do, you do it repeatedly, you just stop thinking about it. I know it's driving a car um, or masturbating. Is that allowed? That was sort of a joke. Yeah, that's a good, it's um, a, not only allowed, it's a great example. Thank you. <laughs> you, you know, so so it just that's you just you you at first you know when when you're driving you're like where's the oh the foot down there and then the Okay, gear, uh, look up, remember to look up and then turn right, oh God. A year or two in, you're just like, you don't, you don't even think about it, you're just cruising through it because when you get in that car, that's what you do. Now, suddenly, get in that car, but you're sitting in the back and on the left-hand side and the pedals are the wrong way round and the gear stick is in another place. I liken it to if I have been playing in goal for 15 years I've just been asked to have a go in the centre of midfield it's the same sport it's stand-up comedy but it's a completely different skill and and that's what it's been to try and sort of learn and reset everything and as someone who is who is joke driven like, you're a big joke writer, right? You, I get the impression you're one. And I, th- I don't know if this is because you, you used to be a doctor. I did. Do you, are you still a doctor? How does it work? Do you no longer have a licence? Um, I doctor? am hoping I am because I'm still writing the old prescription here and there, a little cheeky. <laughs> I don't know how it works and okay. I don't know whether anyone's phoned up the General a, Medical Council. A real Council. doctor would know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you have to ask, you don't know, then... Well, look, I've still got my stethoscope in my bag. Put it that way. No. Um, hello, GMC. Uh, <laughs> I've not done medicine for ten years. Can I still say I'm a doctor? Yes, yeah, Stuart Goldsmith's podcast... Okay, thanks, bye. Um, I, um, am I still a doctor? In name, they can never take that, Fine, that certificate okay. away from me. Gotcha. But hell, don't let a patient near me. And with that, with that training to become a doctor, like the base of that has to be 
intelligence and work ethic and ability to you know get up in the morning get get things done in the way that a lot of comics come to comedy because they are inherently feckless <laughs> it seems like the the you know the tranche of uh, comics who used to be doctors, Adam Kay, Paul Sinner, Harry Hill, I'm sure there's loads of others. Um, the base there, the place you're coming from is, I've worked my nuts off at one of the hardest things there is to learn. So does that, did that inform your work ethic? When you came to comedy, you were like, I'm going to work as hard as a doctor, but at writing jokes. In short, yes. When you do a degree like medicine, it is, um, you know, my... Um, my current wife, <laughs> my, <laughs> she um, she dumped me early on because we were hanging out at university and she was doing um, teacher training and I was doing medicine. And uh, I kept going, like, I, I can't come out tonight because I've got work. I, I can't come out, I've got work. And she was like, fuck you, you're making this up. No one ever at any university has to work that hard in a degree, you're bullshitting. Because most, most degrees, you're right, don't involve that level of hard damn slog. So, yes, that, I guess, is what I was used to doing in terms of if you want to achieve something. I mean, don't get me wrong, there were other... I had mates who would just sit on their bed and just read the damn book. But they were just, um, you know, super, super on it. And I'm like, they're slogging away. I had post-it notes all Felt around my... Felt, I had 20, I had to look up cards. on my key. Orange with the pink stripe, what does that mean? Have to learn by tomorrow. Yeah! So, and then when I came to doing the, the, the comedy, you know, yeah, if you're going to try and do something, you better work properly. Because <laughs> in the... Um, and so, so you do carry that work ethic. But who knows whether people are into that work ethic. That's the degree they find, so that's the way they work anyway. Sure, Chicken and egg, blah, sure. blah, blah. So this is Simon. I'm having a whale of a time talking to him. I hope you're enjoying listening to this. You can see what I mean. He kind of is resistant, and I've really got to keep kind of rolfing him to get him to relax and answer the question. There are, of course, extras from this episode, including Simon's Blagger's Guide to Getting Backstage at the World's Biggest Festival, uh, reflections on the targets of his mockery and some of the characters he's played and uh, some of the decisions he's made, and the challenges involved in gradually moving away from Lee step by step. We're going to get more into detail about half an hour's worth of extra stuff for members of the Insiders Club, which you too can join at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for a small donation regularly every month. You get access to the Insiders Club private podcast, which has got all of the extras from any show that has extras, loads of other strands and bits and bobs beside. And thank you to everyone that has joined up so far. I was going to finish that sentence uh, with a little detail about what happens when you join up in a particular way, but let's leave that secret. Um, that is, uh, that's everything I need to tell you about Simon. We'll get back to this interview in just a second. Um, a quick reminder that Simon's show is, of course, at the Edinburgh Festival this year. I really hope you'll go and see it. It's, uh, it's called 100% Simon Brodkin, and it's at the Pleasant's Baby Grand as part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival from the 1st to the 24th of August at 9.30pm. You can get all your info and tickets from edfringe.com. If you're at the festival, by all means, come and see me. I'm doing Primer, my work-in-progress show, and I'm pretty bloody excited about it. I did a big chunk of it at... Um, 
I did a big chunk of it recently, or some, a big chunk of what it is going in, and it's going to be something very different when it comes out the festival the other end, but I did that at the Lighthouse in Poole for Coastal Comedy recently, which is a cracking gig if you're in Poole or Bournemouth, um, and I really, really enjoyed myself. So I am feeling... I think you've probably heard me last week, I was a bit nervous about, like, oh, my God, what's it going to be? Well, now, if anything, I'm overconfident. Primary is at 3 o'clock uh, every day, apart from two days in the middle, uh, at the Monkey Barrel. So come and see me, come and see Simon, and plenty of other people. I'm going to be um, interviewing Rob Orton this weekend, Llama Tree Festival. I'm an enormous fan of Rob's. He's a kind of stand-up via poetry, and uh, I cannot wait. I can't wait. So if you've got questions for Rob Orton, you can chuck them in at the ComCom Facebook group. Also, Pete Holmes. I've confirmed my guest for the Montreal Comedy Festival the following week. I'm going to be interviewing live in Montreal Pete Holmes, him of the crashing uh, TV show in which he plays a new comic who is crashing on different people sofas, different comic sofas every week after a divorce with his wife when he starts the circuit. Um, I'm a big fan of Pete. I love his stand-up. His new album is on Spotify, Dirty Clean, and I was shout-laughing in my car on the way back from the aforementioned gig in Poole listening to that one recently. So questions, please, for Pete Holmes and indeed Rob Orton and all of the... Oh, there'll be some teaser information about the people I'm going to be interviewing this Edinburgh Festival and a special live ComCom that I think is either insiders only or free to insiders and then if there's any gaps left, people in the Facebook group can find out about it. We're going to be doing that with Joz Norris uh, and possibly some other acts besides. So we will bring you all of that stuff. You can hear about it here. Follow me on socials at ComComPod or join the Facebook group. That is everything. Let's get back to Simon Brodkin. So when you started doing comedy, what was the... Um, the the uh, manifestation of that work ethic how did you apply yourself to writing jokes like day one I'm going to write five minutes what kind of techniques or structures were you were you buying books on how to write a joke or were you just what talk me through no not really um in simple terms it was get out a pad or open a laptop I can't remember when my first laptop was purchased, but it was just sit down at the desk, write, <laughs> go. Um, and that's what I did, and put in the hours and keep writing and keep writing and keep doing it and try it on the circuit and see how it works. And, I mean, a lot of this is from, from you know, trying to wring my brain of the memory, but I've just used that same technique now, so turn on the 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 you know the computer um and um just get writing how how big a session do you set yourself right i'm gonna do two hours or four i mean i'm sounding like a hero here but in the back of my mind i'm thinking anyone who knows me realizes a moth will fly by and i'm like it's a moth (laughs) i'm just gonna follow that for the rest of the day um, and literally, I will make myself a cup of tea or a little bit of food, sure, or let's see what the snack. The it's quite Comedy amazing. You know what? Before I write today's joke, I think I am going to double glaze all the windows. <laughs> it needs to be done. So, although I'm definitely easily distracted by, and my concentration span. Um, it has been suggested many a time that I've got attention deficit uh, <laughs> because there is definitely an attention problem. But despite all that, that's what I had when I was doing medicine as well. But, you know, keep pulling yourself back, keep pulling yourself back, keep pulling yourself back. 
I'm not a, although I have become a little bit more a 4am cigarette and coffee, let's just, you know, sit outside and just see what comes to me. Um, or, you know, 2.30 in the morning. <gasps> I've just had a, an idea for the new show. It is, I guess, how I've always treated something that I'm trying to accomplish. Sit there, do it, and keep doing it. Do you have any, um, do you have any, like... Friends. Uh, <laughs> do you have any kind of uh, tricks or ways of getting yourself into that motivation if you're not in the mood for doing it? Or do you just now have the self-discipline to go, I'm going to do it? Or, do you, th- or like any, any other, sorry, to do it, but like similarly, I mean, kind of any other, like, targets or, right, I'm going to do three jokes today or I'm going to do a page of 100 jokes or anything like that. Or is it Never done journal? targets, ever. Even, you know, when you, I remember GCSE, A-level, you know, university, when you listen to those things or read those books, set yourself a manageable target Mm. for the day and the week and the month and the year. I've tried it. It does not work for me. It's just a waste of time. So no, targets, no. I think it comes from, for me, wanting to do it. You know, what a joy. What a incredible joy so this is work. Sit there and write some jokes, and that is my job. Like, woo! And I want it, and it's fun, and um, I love doing it. And you know, hungry. That I don't think there's a greater feeling maybe than that first when the joke first comes out onto the page, and, and then you try it first, and you're like. I've written something decent here, this is going to be good. And inevitably, I don't know whether you found this, these jokes have this annoying damn habit of, uh, what it, is it beginner's luck? What's the phrase? When something just works that first time and you fall in love and then it's like meeting someone at a club and you don't realise till the next morning, oh my God, that's what they look like? Oh yeah. my God, I was drunk, I made a fool of myself. But you can, that first moment when you write, say that joke that you've written, it comes out and there's the laugh and you're like, oh yeah. And I enjoy it and I want it and I like doing it. And so once you've got all of them, then it's a problem to not start trying to write. Yeah, right. And when you were writing, when you're writing for Lee, it seemed like you were, you like, did you ever kind of get a topic like my, you know, Lee's relationship Definitely. or Lee's child? I remember the joke about having a kid called Stairwell because it was based on, you know, I mean, lots of this is, but that's, that's, yeah. that's an old joke. That's a long that's time ago. That's an old joke. That's still part of the set. So maybe don't <laughs> say it's that old. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, do, you, do you get kind of, right, I'm going to do Lee's, like, what, what's Lee up to today? He's going to the bank. What's the experience of Lee at the bank? Do you write like that or is it more kind of flitting around? So Lee was and is interesting and, and, and Lee is not dead and neither are any of the characters. Um, but what happened with Lee... So when you have a character, you've got a world. And when you've got a world, it means you're sort of starting off the blocks pretty quick. If you take someone who is uh, next to you going, I'm just going to talk about me. It's like, you've t- where do you even begin? So Lee, I was able to fly out the blocks because I knew what he was about and what he stood for and where he lived and who his girlfriend would be and how many kids and let's be a- And then you're up and away. And then out of that, yeah, comes topics sometimes. You'd be like... Uh, let's take Lee to France. What would he think? He's there. What's he going to do? Oh, yeah, he'd be, um, he'd be thinking everyone was, was, was giving him a wanker sign on the road, but actually he was on the wrong side of the road and they're waving him and he doesn't want to get over to the right side and he doesn't realise that. And then 
and 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 yeah, you, you they were definitely you know working out put Lee in that situation and try and wring everything out of it. Um, and after a while, <laughs> um, it's like a marathon, not a sprint. Now, after a while, suddenly that world can start closing in a little bit because, hang on, I've, t- I've talked about the council estate and I've talked about Henry's got the kids and then the person who was talking about themselves actually there now going, you know what, I can talk about anything and everything. And I'm now experiencing that enjoyment of being able to talk about anything. Sure. Whereas with with Lee, certainly the the thought of of of, of going right, let's that it became slightly more diminishing. But obviously, that happens when you've been doing something for a long time anyway, and 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 that's why it was lovely to have a break from that to go right. Let's start mm. this whole new um, new thing. Um, where there aren't the rules, there aren't any rules. Uh, Presumably, that comes at the the inverse cost, though, doesn't it? Now you, it's like you said, you're in that position where you're like, oh, I can talk about anything. Yeah, that's a joy. It's also pretty scary because you're just standing in the middle of the, like the white Absolutely. salt flats going Absolutely. right. Okay, hmm, my Edinburgh show is currently seven and a half hours. I think I might be talking. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's what I think probably every comic goes through when they start off and. Um, uh, you know, okay. Oh my God, I can talk about anything. What, where, what, who, where do I begin? Um, and then I've found that I'm talking about the things that I care about, the things that are close to me. Um, and in the show, you know, obviously, you know, talk a bit about me and 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 a bit about my upbringing, a bit about family, and then that branches off onto all sorts you say about parenting and being a man and repression, and and then that branches out into talking about a particular instant after one of the stunts and um and so uh, yeah i guess everyone to do to a certain extent when anyone's writing about anything they're they've got the topic they're up and running and then they're trying to squeeze more and more and more and more and see what comes so i think everyone's slightly writing to a to a topic, whether it's the boring way of stirring, right, today we're going to talk about what I think of um, the EU, or whether you get to it by talking about stuff that you care about, and then suddenly what's been in your mind recently is the EU, and then before you know it, you're writing under that topic. Is there, a, is there the risk when you write for yourself that your experience is about taking a topic and making, like, you're really good at short, punchy jokes. There's a particular... There's a particular uh, thing you do where the it's like it's not a pullback and reveal, but it's like a situational or it's like a it's like a perspective reveal. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like I, I'm trying to think of one. There was um, there's a joke about we can edit this out if it spoils a gag. But there's a joke. The one that is in my memory from the show that I saw this week was there's a one about McIntyre and having lost his watch, and then it's the. F- yeah, you're fine. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, y- y- yes, and, and that um, style of writing... Yes. Um, ..which is the, the, the quick the quick shuffle in football terms, what is it? Is it probably the drop shoulders and head the other way? Sure, okay. Um, that is a great move, and many a footballer has set up many a great goal or even scored many a great goal. But when... 
it's just you playing in the team and they don't have 10 other players to, to, to have other skills. I've needed to bring more colour and more different jokes styles to the pack especially when writing about myself and about truth because pullback and reveals or changes in perspective are great for joke writing that's something that's always come naturally to me but it's actually the worst thing you want to do when it comes to truth because you're going truth 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 not really absolutely and I'm trying to step up on stage and go, no, this is me. This is me. So you can't keep going, this is me. Not really. No, this is me. Not really. With Lee, doesn't matter because no one's thinking that he's for real anyway. So do that as many times as you like. Have a play with it. No one cares. Everyone's just there. There's not a greater good other than lots of laughs and a great show. So that is another feather that I'm trying to add to the... the, um, Bow. To the bow, yeah. <laughs> I was suddenly thinking, is it a feather and a bow? Feather and a cap? Yeah, yeah. String to the bow, feather yeah. to the cap. You got that one wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that was a joke. It was a little Oh, joke. my God, that's how bad my am. I'm like, is that right? Is that wrong? Is that funny? <laughs> Am I? I'm just yeah. visualising a bow. A feather, well, well, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks for making a slight... Um, yeah. So <laughs> feather to the cap. So, yes, that is a whole new challenge. Because that, I think, early in the set, and I couldn't identify the specific joke, but you did almost do, in the preview, you did a... It might have been even something to do with an audience member. Mm. You did a, this is the truth, not really. Mm. It's been really... It's really... I felt the audience were like... I mean, I know after that particular show, you were like, yeah, they were a bit... They were a bit quiet. They weren't Mm. your favourite audience. Mm. And I wonder if that was a, a side effect of you having, like, quite early on done a little... Really, really interesting, really And as interesting. a result, we were like, oh, are you, a, are you a joke guy or do you mean this? Really interesting. Do you remember what it was? I don't remember specifically what moment it was, but I'm... Uh, and it's not like I'm calling out a particular one of your jokes, but I'm just talking kind of as it pertains to that subject of now that you are, for the first time, this is year one of you can't do not really anymore... You've got to grow that extra sensitivity, I guess, to going. Oh, right, this would be working yeah. if I was if it was just joke driven. But we're in different territory. It has been fascinating to start really thinking about the machinations of stand up and the stand up set and the types of jokes and how the audience feels. And when you're doing um, a standard set at a comedy night, the audience get into each comedian but if you were to suddenly halfway through their set swap comics and they just carry on talking but get into their style of jokes they would often be perplexed because stylistically wise you enter a whole new world of what is expected Mm. and what is real and their own rules of engagement and that's why watching different comedians is so enjoyable because everyone's got their level, their degree. And if someone's super punchline heavy and then you suddenly ask Milton Jones to do a longer bit from Mm. someone else's set, the audience would just be, no matter how brilliantly funny that longer piece was, the audience would be, but your rules are, that's what you do to us. And so, yeah, and I'm still learning and clearly getting it utterly fucking wrong <laughs> um, but, but, but the um, um, the 
the pullback and reveal is really interesting because I am like that a bit in in day to day. I mean, this is the most sensible I've been for a long time. I don't know how many minutes we're in, but I'm pretty sure this is a PB. Um, and in my everyday interactions with people, with you know, I do silly things and do silly jokes and don't take the situation seriously. And what doing the straight stand-up actually involves, weirdly, is taking yourself a bit seriously. Because you have to get on there. And look, this is not for every single stand-up comedian, and um, uh, but this is just what I am trying to do. And as we've just talked about, there are a million and one different styles, and this by no means is uh, what every comic needs to do in order to, to hit um, their, their own comedy you know, sweet spot. But what I am trying to do is actually talk about things I care about. And so I actually have to take myself a bit seriously which is so effing hard for me. And that bleeds into my personality. It also bleeds into the male repression thing, whereby Mm. if you're going to take yourself seriously, that means you're on the line. Because what you are saying, I need to let people know that's actually really what I think, which is much harder for me to do than go, not really, you know, know, shake my hand, and... And so you've got to sort of take yourself seriously in order to talk about those things. And then the style of joke becomes different because if you're taking yourself seriously and you want people to genuinely engage with what you're talking about, you can't keep saying not really. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes you call me out on my move of being quiet in case there was an additional thought. Yeah, never. Um, that was playing uh, chicken. Yeah, pod, yeah, I, I will. Podcast silence chicken. I will think I'm of saying it nothing. Mate. I'm, I've got now. I've got forty minutes, mate. No, <laughs> no. So yeah, you and it it does as you as you as you touched on there, the desire of uh, let's say men to banter and to and to do little gags about everything is often. It's a protective device, isn't it? It's so that you don't have to put yourself on the line. It's so that you don't have to say, here are my actual feelings about this, in a way that, apologies for gendering this, but I think it's broadly true, the women in my life are much more comfortable asking each other how they are. Well, I mean, you've got got stuff on this very... I've got stuff on that very thing, and obviously, as a caveat to the whole thing, I'm not talking about all men and all women, and neither are you. This is only something that is personal to me, and I can only talk about me as representing of, of, of what I see as a man, and my friends, and the women that I encounter. And of course, it's not all of them, but these are the things that I feel like I can talk about, um, and, 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 um, and, and not be alienating lots of people. Sure. Go, really, blokes don't do that. But I don't mean all men. Um, how about that for a, a snowflake um, caveat? That is a asterisk, big disclaimer. Asterix, asterix, <laughs> asterix. I don't mean anything I say. Nothing can, you can't do it. You can't disagree with anything I'm about to say, actually. Um, but yeah, I, that is in my life how I and my friends interact with each other. Um, that there is not much in the way of truth. I mean, it makes a hell of a lot of fun <laughs> hanging out and having a laugh. But if you go, so guys, um, we've been um, hanging out for 25 years now. 
Uh, let me just look at my facts about you. Um, no, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think one of you's got a dog, is that right? <laughs> oh, that was a joke as well. Okay, no, literally nothing. Have I got very, very fun memories of hanging out with you each time yeah. we hang out? Hell yeah. And um, again, chicken and egg, why is it? Is this society? Is this, you know, a, 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 a nature, nurture, the gene thing? And you start getting into hardcore heavyweight discussions do, do you think do you think that you as a man are more than usually uh repressed <laughs> let me take out the scale here mid-level repression 62 percent i am i more repressed like i feel you i feel you're a little bit guarded like now. Even in, now. In our daily, yeah, in our, Even in our now. Dealings. This Even is the now, most I've feel, ever given I to feel, another human being. I appreciate that. And I know that when I first asked you to do this show a couple of years ago, you said, I don't really like talking about myself, but I'm pleased you're making progress. <laughs> <laughs> but Once you, know you up the offer. <laughs> um, uh, so. Like, I feel that you're a little bit guarded and you're being careful about what you say. Hmm. And the way, almost like the rhythm of your speech is quite kind of, let me make sure I say what I mean. First of all, I've definitely got better at that. And that's borne out by the fact that I did say, I didn't say no, I think Murs would go fuck yourself when you offered it to me a couple of years ago. Um, And I wouldn't have even thought about doing it because there is that openness and there is that vulnerability. So in a couple of years' time, this interview is going to be amazing. But now, this is like my midway stage. He's sort of talking, but he's being a bit guarded. Well, that's fair. I think that, that is. And I'm really appreciative of it, because I can feel you softening a bit. But I just, and I, it's maybe a wrong tactic on my part to go, let's drill into this. But I think this is a particularly... It seems to me to be resonant of the sort of work you do. This is, this is the discovery you're on at the moment, and you're going to have to do it more if you keep doing you. you will, you're at the very beginning of the, the journey of the next 15 years of... You know, unless you go, actually, OK, uh, back to Lee, you know, back to whoever, which wouldn't be a, a failure. Yeah. But this this particular path you're on is like, you know, keeping softening. So with that in mind, do you do you think that the starting point is more slightly less likely to share than the next man? So I think someone who is open and talking and noting their own repression is probably a bit ahead of the average before we've even started. Sure. But yes, openness and honesty and an utter opening up of who I am and what I'm about and everything I say and not even think about, you know, and uh, and, and speaking a lot quicker and making this a much more interesting interview. Not at all. <laughs> no. go, go, go. Um, yes, it doesn't come naturally to me. Um, and that is the journey I'm on. And that's why I didn't even feel ready to be myself on stage until recently. Yeah. Because, yeah, I am naturally, I wouldn't say more repressed than every, but whatever. But it's, um, that openness doesn't come naturally. Do you know why? <laughs> Do I know why? Obviously, you look to the, the, the you know, um, parents. My dad is not a big talker in terms of opening up and in terms of, you know, uh, heart-to-heart sessions. You know, nicest, kindest, sweetest man and very, very funny to boot. 
Um, but we've never had a, <laughs> let me take you for a walk, son. Mm. Let me tell you how things work. So maybe there's a little bit of that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. This is pure speculation. Again, it's like, why did I do the character comedy in the first place? That is just what has come naturally mm. to me. Um, I think we'd need a shrink here to really start pecking away and, and looking and to think why and how did it come that way. And uh, maybe think- I've got a good one for you, being funny at school. So that was always the the thing. That was my way of being, be funny. Um, and at school, being funny tends not to involve opening up about your deepest feelings. Now, guys, I know there's no punchline here, but this is part of a 15-minute longer set coming about halfway through my Edinburgh show. So bear with me before you throw me out, Mr. Kwai. Um, and, you know, so maybe that's also part was, of it. Was that a defence mechanism? Because I, I didn't enjoy school at all. Right. And I, I wasn't funny. I wasn't a funny kid at school. Mm. I was just too busy going, oh, I don't really like this. It was yeah. later in life I was like, oh, I've got this kind of facility. Um, to to find that place for myself in the world, but I certainly felt like I saw I saw some happy kids who were being funny because they were happy, and I saw some kids who were being funny who you were like, oh, I think that person's trying to control the situation. So, um, but 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 so why was I funny at school? <laughs> I'm struggling. To remember what I did yesterday. This is <laughs> this one's killing me. Let's think. I'm sure there probably was a you know that's how everyone at school's trying to fit in. I don't feel I I, I I don't I feel sorry for everyone growing up because it's hard, isn't it? Finding your place in the world, working out what you're about, having all the peer pressure, and kids are mean little fuckers. You know they will take you down if they see a vulnerability. So everyone at school is looking for their way of fitting in and their way of... of um, and, and so probably, yeah, telling the jokes was that for me. But who knows whether that was just because that's what I was like anyway or that was in response to some sort of, you know, traumatic situation going on. Oh, my God. There wasn't a moment where, you know... Um, <laughs> Basher Smith is about to wallop little brothers. Right! And then suddenly I pulled the joke out the bag and everyone went, Hooray! <laughs> He's actually funny! Put him down! Um, so I, I don't know in answer to that. Did you enjoy school? I didn't hate school. I didn't love school. I was very naughty at school. I got kicked out of huge amounts of lessons at school. I was really? pretty disruptive at school. Have you down as a naughty kid? Um... What's your approach towards uh, quality control? How much do you like your joke? You've got some really, really good jokes, and I noticed as well when you were doing this preview, you were. How much of it were you reading off the iPad? How much of those were notes and how much was you reading? Like, you, I couldn't tell if you were like, right, this chunk definitely works or if you were sort of looking at it going, I've written all these jokes and it was, was it the first outing for some of them? So the whole thing was written on my iPad. Yeah. Um, word for while word. I, word for word. Um, pretty much. I mean, yeah. you know, and this is a pretty this is entirely acceptable. <laughs> this is at the comedy store last night. It was weird. He just kept reminding people of what he'd done. Um, this because although you know I love working and working and working away on the writing, 
the thing that I never have time for is going, let's stop and practice and perform and learn. And so there is never a single one of those things in my mind. It's always just about get it out there, say it, feel it. Because it's a weird combination, isn't it? Because you are... It's not like a piece of art where you have this end product and you put it up and then people comment on it. You know, in stand-up comedy terms, you put up a bit of of colour on the canvas and then you watch people's reaction and then you shape it a little bit. And every comic has a different degree to which they do that. Some people... I'm sure we'll just be, no, screw you, that is what I want to say. I I can't see there being many, even at the very, 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 very top of their game. I mean, um, I don't know, I can't talk um, uh, how he works, but, you know, Stuart Lee will do um, loads of of build-ups to the show. You know, like any comic, you're, 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 you're working it out for first of all yourself because that's the quality control that you have to get through you're not going to just write crap and go well I hope they laugh so it has to first of all I guess it's like loads of people in the factory isn't it all with their notepads all having to give it a tick and it's up to every comic as to how many people they want giving it a control and I enjoy the process of me going yeah I think that I think I'll you know, I'll let that one out, and then you put it to the audience, and you watch them with their notepads going, mm, some of them, yeah. And it's, and then if you think, you know what, they didn't read it. I mean, obviously the one extreme is, I loved it, they loved it, bosh. Mm-hmm. The other extreme, I loved it, they hated it. And then that one, you've got to go back and you go, now, is that joke, or is that subject, or is that area something that I really feel is great, and I just haven't gone about it the right way? And then you keep reshaping and remodelling and, 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 and playing with it and then you give it another go and then obviously if 30 attempts later, um, you're like, I really shouldn't have put that in my Edinburgh show, should I? <laughs> but, you know, you, 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 you keep adapting. And there I find jokes like, um, uh, you know, little this, this, they're, they're things that need constant work and sculpting and moulding and chipping away and pauses and commas and everything. But the very first thing you need to do is get a lump of material <laughs> um, which you think is is malleable and workable into something? That's I'm lo- I'm really loving that idea of like malleability. It's all very the, the terminology you're using is all very kind of plastic. The kind of yeah. like is very physical and tangible. Yes, and and the 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 thing you're saying there is that you need to make sure that you love the object itself before you share it. Are there any are there any jokes you've happened a lot you've happened upon along the way whereby you've either improvised something or so it's got a big reaction and actually you've gone that gets a big laugh but I don't love it or does the fact it's getting a big laugh mean that you start loving it I I think what I'm asking is have you got any gear that takes the roof off but you're not that proud of um, so. When I'm doing stuff as myself, there has definitely been a different um, set of... a different checklist by which it would get into my set. And probably more, if I look at Lee, if something, you know, took the roof off, there would be very, very rare of me going, is that right? You know, but... Now, um, obviously, I don't want anything I say across any character or anything for me to not be able to look in the mirror and go, you know, I I think that's gratuitously offensive. Mm. Or, um, But once you've got past that, then you're on the laugh count. And with the stuff I'm doing, 
because I've sort of been doing different things. I've been trying to work up club sets, but also the, my main drive is the thought of coming up with this Edinburgh show or a show, forget Edinburgh, but a show where I can really open up and really make full use of being myself mm -hmm. and talk about those things. And so, yeah, suddenly the some things that have got laughs are not in the show, definitely, because it feels the wrong tone, because it's too much of a pullback and reveal, because it doesn't fit into what the show is about, um, because it's actually a complete pack of lies, and why do I want to be saying that? So, yes. So you've, had, so you've you started with something, you're trying to write the serious, or not, not a serious show, you're trying to write the honest show, and you've kind of ended up lying about something for the sake of a joke, and then done it, and it's got a laugh, and you've gone... I can't, I can't keep it in. Of course. Oh, and they're man. the hardest ones, hard. the hardest ones to kill. Um, yes. But I know I've got that with Lee. I can, I don't want that. Lee can I'll, have it. I'll yeah. have it, mate. You legend. <laughs> thank you, thank you, mate. It sounds like the origins of Lee were, you did a bunch of different characters because you wanted to be on stage and doing characters. And he, because of the things you said, he lives in the room. That's a very clowny expression i don't know if you've ever done any kind of look like clown training or anything like that is but no. but um uh, mr brodkin is shaking his head <laughs> but um uh because he lived in the room he was the one that went on dr brodkin oh i feel terrible um because he lived in the room he was the one that kind of went on to the biggest the most runaway success of all the characters and he was at it at its core that clown that irrepressible positive kind of you legends thing at his core he was arguably a doctor from private school making making a funny version of a poor person from a council estate like that that isn't necessarily what you set out to do but given that he was the one who achieved the stratospheric success were there any points along the way when you kind of went hang on a minute whose whose expense is this joke at um, Lee was never about laughing at his poverty and Lee was never about scoffing at the opportunities he never had or the education he missed out on. And it was about me seeing a group of lads on a bus and seeing their attitude and their bounce and their manner and their... They weren't the brightest chaps, but they were loving life. And it was me just developing that and being funny as that person. You know, I never described them as a chav. I never um, um, wanted it to be anything other than affectionate and loving. Maybe when I very first came out with the character, way pre-TV days, it was, um, uh, it was it, he was less filled in then, so there was less to him. Um, but but certainly by the time I was doing stand-up with him, he was a joyful bundle of smiles. In terms of those other questions that you asked, and I'm sure lots of comics and lots of people maybe asked, I, I didn't think about it, things like that. I wasn't, you know, thinking, um, oh, let me think, I, I've got all this, I'm a... Yeah, I don't see myself as as um, um, and representing any particular thing. 
uh, and therefore not being able to laugh at or laugh with or um, inhabit anyone else. It's my head, and again, I'm thinking about comedy more, educating myself more, but in my head, I'm a comedian, I'm trying to be funny, I'm a character comic, wouldn't it be funny if I pretended to be like this? Wouldn't it be funny if I pretend to be like that? Um, I was never sitting down thinking, what the, what the ramification, but is this a... You know, a, a, and... Um, but were there, were there any moments... I, t- I totally get that, and mm. I completely... And, it, you know, you, you are talking about it differently and intelligently, and, you know what I mean, you're aware of how culture has changed. Were there any... Did you ever encounter anyone like Lee in the audience? Did you ever encounter anyone in the street who was a bit like... But what is like Lee... I mean, when you say someone like me, does that mean someone who, uh, what, you know, what aspect of my identity? Maybe other people are just as guilty as trying to box Lee into something. Yeah. I don't know. What is Lee? Lee, to me, is a joyful, happy-go-lucky, South London tearaway who mocks everything, laughs at everything, and enjoys life to the full. So what is that? You know, I'm not looking at someone going, is he that sort of person? I'm not coming on stage going, oh, you, you, you work in class, yeah, 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 chav, 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 ha, 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 got no money. But, ooh. So, um, um, if it was hateful, um, you know, and it, and it gets a, a cross section, absolutely. One of the things I love is looking at the audience and going, because I always, in this show, this current tour, um, find the youngest and the oldest member of the audience. And often, often, it will go from 80 to 10, <laughs> which is like... and every at first, I'm used to it now, but at first I was like, what the hell do you want? Why do you want to come and see me? And because I think people enjoy it, because Lee is full of jokes and smiles, and it's... Um, sometimes quite old-fashioned probably in its core in the simplicity of the joke writing and in the just setting out to have a laugh and in the we're just gonna have a good time you know there's not a but um like what's the kind of show about like um it's not that and it's never pretended to be that and that's that's fun to do um are you gonna have to face those kind of questions as yourself like not not like what's that about? Do you know what I mean? The question, what's it about, is easier to level at a stand up being themselves than a character. Because a character is like, oh, it's just about this guy, he's this funny person. Whereas now you're wading into this is me, these are the things I think. Do you have to stand there and take responsibility for your opinions in Com- a different completely. way? Completely. Completely. And doing stand-up as myself, first of all, I want it to be about the things I, I, I care about because that's what gets me going. And secondly, if it was just me standing there doing a load of one-liners or whatever, I might as well just be doing it as Lee, you know. And, and if they're all nonsense, then what's the point? So to max out on this, um, you know, this adventure that I'm on at the moment, doing stuff as me, yeah, let's do it. Let's go in hard. Let's talk about the stuff I care about. Let's put my balls on the line. Let's um, say things that I really think. And it doesn't come necessarily easily. 
to sort of go, you know what, I'm going to tell you really what I think. I mean, um, and that's the fun. I've been trying to do that for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's hard. Um, But that's the fun of the fair. And yeah, and and it's an Edinburgh show, so of course it's going to have, I want it to have some heart and some soul for all the reasons that I I, want to be doing it. Because, you know, I I, I want to be able to... um, well, I'm just repeating myself now, but talk about things I care about. Say a few things. Yeah, um, are you happy? <laughs> am I happy? I am very, very happy. I hope you are too, Stuart. Um, was that yeah. a real answer or was that a guarded answer? No, that was a real answer. I'm really happy. I'm well, really well. having a lot of fun. Um, um, really. I'm <laughs> loving every second of writing for this show, every second of performing... I'm back at the comedy store this evening. Coincidentally, I'm doing a weekend run here. I'm chomping at the bit to um, um, to, to to come out on the stage as myself. It's a lot of it's a damn lot of fun, you know. It's um, exposing, and thrilling, and playful, and exciting. And when it works, you know, suddenly because when a Lee show works. You know, with them on tour, 185 dates of them working, um, and who knows how much of this is because it's 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 not it's been going on a long time. But there's a certain amount of me not taking the credit because I am pretending to be someone else, and um, you know, and and but when it's it's me, this is this is me. This is you know, I, I'm doing this. These these are my jokes. This is my life. This is me standing here on stage. So there is definitely a thrill to it. Where are you in Edinburgh? Where and when? What's the... I am... Um, it's a great question. That I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to answer now and B, I should get used to in Edinburgh because if people haven't been to Edinburgh before and haven't been as a comedian, 92% of your conversations are the comics. So where are you? What time are you, are you on? Are you? And then, yeah. oh, mate, I can't make that. No matter what time. <laughs> oh, oh, mate. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we clash. Yeah. Oh, so we, no, we you clash. meant to... We clash. <laughs> this is what comes out. Oh, mate, I can't see it inside. <laughs> Fucking yes! Um, so I am on 930 in the Pleasance Courtyard. Um, in, in the big room? In No, not a big room at all. In the Baby Grand. Okay. Which is a really... It's a little room. It's um, an Edinburgh... You know, let's do this properly. If we're going to go back to... to, to to bulls on the line, let, let, let's let's do it. And I, you know, I, my ambition is not to go up there and and, um, and go. You know, right, I really want to play the biggest room and just have you. I want to go up there and see, and 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 have have a good show. So that was Simon. I am so grateful to him for submitting to the process and finding it hard and sticking with it and and really telling us what he really thinks. So thank you, Simon. Thank you to Florrie at Avalon for helping me set that up. And thank you, of course, to the Comedy Store. Very much appreciate your help in giving me a little bit of recording space in your hallowed venue. Thank you to Nathan Wood for producing the show. Pete Dobbing is the podcast consultant. Music by Rob Smout and logging by Jake Crossland. Remember, go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to hear half an hour of extra stuff with Simon waxing lyrical about some of the targets of uh, his mockery or some of the, uh, the, the, the decisions he made, maybe some of the mistakes he made in uh, creating some of his characters along the way and also an incredibly vivid description of exactly how he managed to wangle his way backstage at Glastonbury Festival. It's very exciting stuff. So, 
enjoy all of that. Uh, new stuff coming soon in the can. We currently have Greg Turkington, a.k.a. Neil Hamburger. Ellie Taylor is coming up as well. We'll have Rob Orton soon and Pete Holmes soon after that. And then we're into Edinburgh. If you have any particular burning desires or recommendations for people for me to interview during the Edinburgh Festival, and the slate is already getting pretty weighty, info at comedianscomedian.com. Chuck me your recommendations. Rave about people in the ComCom Facebook group. And let's do all of that. A little post-amble coming up, reflecting on how lovely last week's episode was, but otherwise, speak to you soon. So I think for the post-amble, you will notice that massive change in acoustic. Can you change that? This is me putting my head into a cardboard box full of memory foam, and this is me rolling back on a rolly chair uh, in a very tinny brick-walled room, uh, which the acoustic is no doubt horrible, but it's a post-amble, so I can actually stop... I mean, I'm too hot, basically, is what I'm saying. That memory phone box is incredibly hot. And if I'm going to post-amble at you, I shall do it in uh, the manner in which I choose. I just wanted to say thank you. Episode 300 was so much fun, and... um, I I loved doing it. I was scared to do it, but it was really enjoyable. And um, I'm going to share with you a couple of the things people said in the Facebook group. One of the posts in the Facebook group I'm not going to share because it is so uh, incredibly um, uh, effusive in its praise that uh, I, I mean, I feel uncomfortable sharing it. But, you know, I mean... Some of you said such wonderful things about it. I found some fantastic emails. Hey, it's a little thing. If you're listening to the post Amble but you're not in the Facebook group, if you go to the Facebook group, you can hear, uh, you can see a, a screen grab of a text from John Robbins uh, with his opinions on who would win a fight between us. That was one of the questions from episode 300. Um, also, if you are in the Insiders Club, remember, check your podcast feed because... The full audio... Oh, I should have said this in the main app. Oh, well, who cares? Um, the full audio is uh, uh, from the Sindhu, Tom and Sarah interviews. That's all now in there. Um, these... Oh, well, I mean, people said such nice stuff. Let's focus on the nice stuff they said about other people. Aiden says, uh, Sindhu V is a laser-guided missile with a great analytical mind. Uh, that's, oh, that's very nice. Um, did Millican wink when saying, let's stick a pin in that for later then, said Phil Mins, very funny. Um, Andrew McLean read, I won't read it out, but um, it's, uh, I mean, it's just <laughs> weepingly good. Oh, that's all I'll say from that. Thank you, mate. Um, Murray Head says, it's a great reminder of how great the guests have been for fully coming on board to be part of slash share with the ComCom community. That's really nice. Um, and Joe McLaughlin said, might as well use this opportunity to congratulate Stu on becoming one of the most competent, comprehensive and thorough interviewers of comedians. It's been lovely to hear someone become so brilliant at something. That's so nice. And lots of other people said lovely things as well. Um, I, I, I'm really uh, flattered and happy and celebratory. I feel like it's my birthday. Thank you. It sort of is. It's my 300th birthday. And... Um, uh, I got loads of texts from comics. Thank you to all the comics who listen to this and then bother getting in touch with me to tell me they've been listening. Uh, you all know who you are. Um, and thank you to all the comics and people that listen to it and don't get in touch and just get on with quietly enjoying it. I mean, I've never got in touch with Kermode and Mayo and I listen to their podcast for about eight years straight. So presumably there are many more of you out there. Um, I mean, I know, I know there are more of you out there than get in touch, but thank you to you. Don't feel obliged to, to come and <laughs> waft, garland me with whatever you garland someone with. Um, thank you, everybody. I enjoyed it enormously. It was bruising. I haven't listened back to it since the edit. I will, I'm going to give it a month and then listen back to it and see. If, no, I'm going to give it 
two weeks because I should listen to it at the beginning of Edinburgh. Should I do that or should I definitely not do that? Oh, shit, there's some good new gear. Oh, my God, there's some good new gear. The bit about the eyeballs is um, it's a good bit. And then I bloody listened to the Pete Holmes album, Dirty Clean, and he's exploring similar territory to me. And I'm like, no, I've just made this discovery. And I was like, this is my thing. And I'm like, no, Pete Holmes is doing... I mean, a different version of a different version of a similar sort of mission. But uh, anyway, this is all fucking wank, isn't it? Because you don't know what I'm talking about. And I don't want to spoil the surprise. And who knows, ideally, if Edinburgh were... Imagine this. I'm going into Edinburgh. I'm like, I've got three really good chunky bits and uh, two and a half good chunky bits and um, and a bunch of starting points. But the, the job, the mission statement is that none of that's in there by the end because it's all... It's all different and it's all kind of churned and changed. And then one of the secret projects, I've taken on a co-writer for my secret project that I occasionally obliquely refer to. And I'm going to be herring around Edinburgh trying to put that together as well. So it's going to be busy um, and I can't wait. What was I talking about? I was talking about episode 300. I've said everything I need to say. I think, you know, you listen to me for hours and hours. I do think there was a lot of good stuff in those extra longer form interviews. I just couldn't bear that the longest ever episode of ComCom was me banging on about myself. So if you are a mega fan, then please do sink your teeth into them. There's a lot in there to enjoy, I think. Um, I know, I'm sure. And that's it. That'll do for now. I've, uh, oh my God, the the gaps in between. I'm going to Lama Tree Festival for the aforementioned Robin Orton interview and a set there as well and some fun fun times with the family. And then I'm back for not even a day, an afternoon, and then I'm flying to Montreal. I'm doing a TV taping in Montreal and interviewing Pete. And I've also just... Met, I won't want to say the names in case I hex it, but I've got two more very exciting guests uh, for that as well. Um, and, uh, and then I'm always legging it around, seeing stuff and doing stuff and everything. And then I get back and my wife has kindly bought me a camping trip for my uh, birthday. So we, I mean, with all of us, <laughs> she bought me, go, go there in a tent on your own. I mean, there's a present. Um, go there in a tent on your own with Polytopia on your, on your, uh, uh, Android phone and, uh, and just play that for 36 hours. There's a holiday. <laughs> no, I would have a wonderful time doing that, but doing the family holiday bit. And then I'm coming back from that, and again, not around for even a day before I take off to Edinburgh. And it's all rushing towards me, and I'm not going to be with the family in Edinburgh. And every time I think about it, I get proper collie wobbles. Um, I, I was away for two nights recently, and when I got back, my son and he squeezed my head off. He's taking this thing now where he squeezes me until I go to imply that my head's popped. I'm like, squeeze me till my head pops. And now a couple of times I've forgotten that we have that runny joke and he squeezes me and I'm like, oh, this guy really loves me. And then I'm like, oh, oh, he's trying to kill me. Oh, he's waiting for that. The other day, I'll finish with this. The other day, last night, uh, it was bath time. And I said to him, this is, I mean, I'm glad he's emotionally intelligent. And I'm glad I constantly tell him how much I love him because that's a core value and I love him to bits. However, I'm pretty sure he was making fun of me last night. He was in the bath, he did or said something cute, and I said, oh, Boutros, and he said, I love you. And I was like, are you making fun of me, you little rat? <laughs> because normally when I say, oh, Boutros, I then am about, I was just about to say, I love you. And he got in first, and I didn't know whether he was telling me he loved me. I don't think he was. I think he was making fun of how effusive I am in my declarations of love for that little rat. Uh, anyway, that'll do for now. Um, big love to all of you. Thanks again uh, for all of your love on episode 300 
Loads more exciting stuff to come. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. Mm.